May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Abby and I are a bit convinced that there are only so many face molds in heaven that the Lord uses, and he just sort of recycles them from time to time and puts them on different bodies and different uh, people. But, but you see somebody and you say, wow, doesn't she just look exactly like so-and-so? You know you've had this experience, right, where you've been somewhere and you're with your friend or a spouse. You're like, my word, look at him or look at her. They look just like, and you name somebody. And, um, and so this is sort of a game with us. Abby and I are out we're with some friends or at a party or something, and we're introduced to a neighbor or a fellow party guest or something, and, and uh, after the walk away, we'll say, doesn't she look just like Amy Adams or Sandra Bullock or Samantha B? I was at a party not long ago, and there's a woman who looked exactly like Samantha B. And if you don't know who she is, she's a comedian, but uh, you got to get out a little bit more. Anyway, so she looked exactly like her. And, and I, said, I said to Abby, I'm like, wow, she looks exactly like Samantha B, doesn't she? Like, yes, yeah, she does. And I've seen her around, and we still say it. Like, I can't believe it. Uh, people say that to me sometimes. They, they'll, say, they'll say, you know, um, you know, you look just like somebody I've, I've seen recently. And, and, and in fact, I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day and they said, I, I saw somebody look just like you on TV. And I said, wait, wait, don't tell me. It was Brad Pitt, right? And they're like, no. I said, well, I get that a lot. Um, and, and she, no, no, no. Good heavens, no. What are you thinking? And, um, and she says, no, Sean Spicer, the president's press secretary. I'm like, no, I don't. I was upset. Yes. You know what they call Washington, D.C.? It's Hollywood for ugly people. You know, don't send me there. I don't want that. You know, um, I, I did not share her enthusiasm. Um, and then there's these times where you know two people who look a lot alike, and in your mind you sort of confuse them with one another. Have you ever done that? You know, you're like, wow, this person looks just like this other person, and maybe they don't know each other, but you know both of them. This happened to me. I was at the Rotary uh, Gala, and um, I was the MC for the night. And this is a big event. The Hudson Rotary Gala is, like, has, you know, several hundred people come, and it's at the Hilton Garden Inn, and it's a black tie optional sort of thing, so everybody's really well-dressed. And I was the MC, and I thought I had a series of really good jokes, and, a, 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 you know, it was a... I had him eating out of the palm of my hand. Um, and, and so it went, everything went swimmingly. It went perfect. We raised a lot of money for good uh, causes, and, and it was wonderful. And, and afterward, you know, I got a lot of, you know, nice comments. People were saying, oh, you know, great job, all that sort of stuff. And then this fellow comes up to me that in my mind was the superintendent of the city schools, Phil Herman. But it wasn't Phil Herman. It was my veterinarian, my dog's veterinarian, uh, Dr. Dan Bestick. I don't have a veterinarian. Um, anyway, it's yeah. – scratch me behind here. Anyway, uh, so, so Dan comes up to talk to me, but in my mind it's Phil that I'm talking to. You get it? And I begin to talk to him, and I'm talking about all these sort of things, and I could tell that he was looking at me like I was really odd. And so I thought, wow, that was an interesting conversation. And he walked off. And then I see Phil Herman walking up to me. And I, thankfully, it struck me, right? I, I didn't start talking to Phil Herman about my dog's heartworm medicine, which is what I thought I might do. But I didn't. And, and so I began to talk to, to Phil, and I realized what I had done and what a knucklehead I must be. Um, it's fun to think about how people look alike right up to the point where you confuse them for one another. That's when the fun sort of ends. There's the other side of the coin, too, isn't there? 
Well, you recognize somebody, but you can't put a name with a face. You know how you get? You're like, oh, I know, I know you. Uh, I was reading um, Reagan's autobiography years ago, and, and he said that he would often be, you know, in politics, you meet so many people. And uh, and he had this little trick where he would reach out to shake somebody's hand and say, um, I can't remember your name. And they would say something like, you know, Bob or Susan or Jan or whatever. And, and he'd be like, oh, of course, I know that, Susan, but I, it's your last name I can't remember. And and it would make them feel good, like like he had actually remembered them. And then they would give them their last name. So he got their first and last name. And if they gave the last name first, of course, they would just reverse the, the process. So... There's a way in which, you know, we, we can kind of see this familiarity, forget the name that goes with it. And that's the real troublesome one, isn't it? People say this all the time. I have a hard time remembering names. You ever say that? Of course you do. Everybody has a hard time remembering names. Let me tell you why. When you meet somebody for the first time, when I meet somebody for the first time, you want a conversation to ensue. You, you want this to be uh, a, a friendly gathering, right? And so you think in your mind three questions. I'm going to ask them their name. I'm going to ask them where they live, perhaps, or their occupation. I'm going to ask them, you know, sort of similar interest. And so you meet somebody. Hi, what's your name? My name's Susan or Bob or whatever. And, and then uh, where do you live? I live wherever. And then do you like to ski? And, and in a few minutes, you realize that you have a common interest, and the conversation ensues. But you forgot the first, the answer to the first question. You moved on so quickly to the second and third question that you forgot to answer the first question. What is your name? And so you see them a month later and you think to yourself, that's Bob. He has three daughters. Um, you know, he likes to ski, likes the taste of fireball and his hot chocolate. I know lots of things about him, but I can't remember his name. You know, there's the, this, I can't remember that name. What is his name? A relationship is a lot of things, but at least involves a name. Involves being on a name basis with one one another. And so as much fun as it is to play the match a face with a celebrity game, which Abby and I play all the time, it doesn't help if we don't actually know the person's name. I've been with Abby before and I said, there's the woman who looks like Samantha B. What's her real name? And Abby will say to me, why did you have to say Samantha B? Because I would have known her name if you hadn't thrown that other name in there. Got to know a name. Relationships involve knowing someone by name. And John gives us a name, Nicodemus. He gives us a little bit more than Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And for a casual Bible reader, this is a red flag. Pharisees are, um, they're Jesus' adversaries. You do not want your daughter to date a Pharisee. You know, this is, this is bad news. You know, you don't want this to happen. Pharisees are like a street gang. You know, they're hanging out on the corner ready to beat people up as they walk by. But, of course, none of that is true. It's not true about Pharisees, not at all. They're traditional Jews. They're pietistic. They're concerned about morality. They, they are meticulous about following every single command in the Bible. They're very careful about everything that they do, from the clothes that they wear to the, to the style of their hair, to the length of their beard and everything. They are, they are meticulous. They are adversaries to Jesus only because at times they think he plays a little too fast and loose with the Bible. He's not taking morality serious enough. You've heard of people who are more Catholic than the Pope? These people are more religious than Jesus. I mean, can you really get there? One day, for instance, they see G the Pharisees see Jesus and his friends walking through a field. 
and they're going through, and it's a, it's a wheat field, and they're, they're taking wheat, and they're, like, stripping it off the stalks. Um, by the way, this is what poor people are allowed to do. So Jesus and his friends are doing what poor people do. They go out, and they just glean the, what's left over in a field. And, and so they're, they're, they're just taking off some, some wheat, presumably, to throw it all together and mash up some bread later on in the day. And the Pharisees see this, and they say, that's working on the Sabbath. That is impermissible. This is how strict and how religious they are. And so when they see Jesus and they're adversarial to him, it's not because they um, they just are against religion. It's because they are so very much devout. They're Bible bigots, in the words of John Wesley. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And did you catch this? He's a leader of the Jews. Think local politician, but even more than that, national politician, a leader of the Jews, not just a leader in Jerusalem, but a leader of the Jews. He's well-known, well-respected, almost certainly well-educated. I imagine him very well-dressed and neatly groomed. He, um, He is not like Jesus at all because I don't imagine Jesus like any of those things. There's nothing in history to suggest that Jesus was well-educated. Autodidactic, maybe learned on his own, obviously uh, very bright and intelligent. But from a backwater town with a hick accent who wears clothes from the local Goodwill store, this is what Jesus looks like. Now, Now contrast that to Nicodemus with everything he's got going for him. And yet what does Nicodemus do? He comes to Jesus stealthily by night. A light rap on the door under the cover of darkness. They seem to know each other, perhaps by reputation. They know each other by name and by face. But they don't know each other. Not like we know each other. Not like we would spend time and talk to one another. Listen to, listen to John again. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. This is a real conversation, isn't it? It seems like word about Jesus has been spreading through the high rent district, too. We know. Me me and my friends, we know. My friends and I, we know about you. I slipped right into southern Ohio just like that, didn't I? Um, We know. We know what's going on with you, that you do, you do these great things and, and these signs. It's clear that you come from God. He calls him rabbi, master, teacher. I think Nicodemus sees something in Jesus that is authentic. It's genuine. And he wants a little bit in on it. He wants to know what's going on. Maybe he was in the temple when the money changers' tables were turned over. Pharisees would have loved that. And this very important man comes to Jesus and he speaks to him. Now, I want you to see something. Nicodemus is a believer. He's a believer. He believes in God. He even believes that Jesus is authentic. He probably, uh, he certainly keeps a kosher home. He, He allows his whole life to be reordered by this belief. And to this very good man, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born from above. 
Nicodemus is already a believer, but that is not enough. He does not need to be converted from unbelief to belief. You get that? He does not need to be converted from unbelief to belief. He already is a believer. He is. He needs what William Loder says. He needs to be converted from one kind of belief to another. He needs to be converted from one kind of belief to another. We know that you come from God. We know this. I know this, that you come from God. This knowledge, though, is analytical. It's bookish. It's sort of the way I know that Saturn is up there somewhere or out there. I don't know if it's up or out or over. It's, it's somewhere beyond us, right? Jupiter exists. And Pluto may not be a planet, but it's still out there floating around somewhere. I know these things. What Nicodemus needs is not more knowledge. He needs a deeper experience. He needs a knowledge not like someone knows something in a book, but like someone knows that they're in love. That's a different kind of knowledge. He needs a conversion of the spirit to be born from above. This is a better translation than born again. Born from above, born of God. You need this spiritual transformation. Listen, religion is good. It is good. But it is not enough. Everyone here, at least at some level, believes in God. Churches all over the world, billions of people in this world believe in God. They even reorder their lives because they're faithful in marriage. They don't take things that don't belong to them. They even take some time out of their week for religious observance. They believe in God. And I think that God honors that. But if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, if you want to see the kingdom of God at work in this life, in the here and now, you need more than the faith of a philosopher. You need the faith of a child, the faith of a lover, the faith of one who says, I need to experience God in my being. And St. Paul says we can have this. Listen to what he says to the Romans. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, I know your name. Listen to this. And the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit himself, you hear that emphatic himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The spirit bears witness with our spirit and we know. And someone says, how do you know God is real? Because you read it in a book? No, because I know. In, uh, in 1959, this guy, this fellow named Jim Monaghan had this idea to buy a pizza shop. He lived uh, near the campus of Eastern Michigan University, and, uh, and his brother Tom had just been uh, discharged from the Marines, and Tom wanted to go to school and become an architect, and somehow his brother convinced him to, uh, to come and be part of his pizza shop. But Tom didn't have any money, so Jim said, I'll put up the money, and you help work, and, and we'll get this pizza shop going. And they did. They put up, uh, Tom borrowed $900 from his credit union, and they bought this little pizza shop called Dominic's. And, um, and they worked together for eight months, and the guy and Jim, whose idea it was to buy the pizza shop, wanted out. And so he says to Tom, look, I'll sell you my half of the pizza shop for your Volkswagen Beetle. 
And so he did. And, and so, so Tom gave up the Volkswagen Beetle and, uh, and, uh, and, and Jim went off and, and went back to work at the, at the post office and, and Tom was left with Dominic's. He decided he didn't really like, like the name Dominic, so he was going to change the name. And he changed it to Domino's. And he began to work hard. And he turned this little pizza shop into a major business. A few years ago, Forbes listed uh, Tom Monaghan as one of the 400 richest people in the country. Jim had a great start. He had a great idea. Imagine if he had missed out on something more important than money. That would be a real shame, wouldn't it? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.